Welcome to The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds, by sports nerds. This week, drama, heartbreak, controversy. We're not talking about VAR. We're going to look ahead to the knockout stages of the World Cup. Hello and welcome to the Back Pass. I'm your host, Gurpreet Singh Rana, and with me today, I have Ali, Kevin, and Mike. Hello, gentlemen. How's it going? Good evening. How are we not going to talk about VAR? <laughs> what about notes? Can we talk about notes? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's try and get through 30 to 40 minutes of football without mentioning VAR, lads. Ali, <laughs> I'm going to pick on you first. The knockout stages got away this got underway this morning New Zealand time with the Dutch and Argentina winning. What did you yeah. make of the opening two games? Um, I think if you are not a soccer person, football person, and you saw the results, you wouldn't be very surprised. You'd expect the Dutch and Argentina to win those. Argentina were really up and down. Australia really pushed them. The score kind of, you know, the final score doesn't really show how close it was to potentially slipping out of Argentina's hands, but... Um, and also the goals that Argentina did score were kind of weren't really something kind of like that came out of beautiful passing or or sweeping moves that Australia couldn't stop. So it was it was a really interesting interesting game and interesting result out of that because Argentina looked fluid at times, but when they did, Australia had answers of how to stop them. It's it's just Australia kind of almost let themselves down. Uh, the Dutch, the Dutch looked good. They they poured forward. They really put a lot of pressure on USA, and USA seemed to be kind of uh, didn't have the answers for it. So that one went more as expected, as what the scoreline kind of a little bit represents. Kevin, let's let's focus a little bit on the Argentina Australia game. Now you're the uh, you're the resident Aussie on the panel. What what did you make of the Aussie effort? Uh, look, it was expected. I mean, the play style matches you know, what we've what we've done in the you know, the knockouts, uh, the group stages, and even in qualification. Um, I think that the second goal is is probably a true reflection of who we are as a team. Um, Ryan at the back looking to get the ball out, um, had indecision because there was press at that particular moment. He wasn't certain that, you know, the player that he was about to give the ball to was going to be able to get it. And then he made the mistake. And that's, it's probably, it's the truth of the matter. Like we have talent in key areas, but then the drop off in talent in other areas is, you know, um, significant. And it's, it's what separates us from probably, uh, that elite level of competition. Um, you know, Harry Suta has been the mm. one of the best defenders in the competition. But mm. if you look at the other defenders, we're we're prone to catastrophic 
lapses in concentration. Um, and you know, that was the case. And that's the difference between when, when you get to the knockout stage, that's, that's the difference. That's the difference between quality teams and that step below. Um, and if we want to progress further, we need to have a probably more even spectrum of talent. Um, hopefully this can be a, a stepping stone into the future. I know um, Ali made the point on WhatsApp when Australia equalized. Australia, sorry, when they scored, not equalized, when they scored the, uh, the, the goal that made it 2-1. The, the way the game panned out after Australia got that goal and came back into the game, it kind of magnified how bad that error was. When, 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 that, when that second goal first went in, you were sort of like, okay, this is expected. Argentina were going to win anyway. But the way Australia came back in the last 30, that, like Ali said on the chat, that, that, that mistake really decided the game. Yeah, and it was yeah. I I I did Ryan not get a call? Like he didn't. He did, was not aware there was a man on the other side. No, you could him. you could see the you could see the indecision indecision right on his like you could tell by the way he was moving. He was like, oh crap! If I give him the ball, I'm not sure if I, um, if you know if it's going to be taken off him. He probably at that point should have just cleared. Um, yep. but again, you know. It's if he had options, if he had better players out the back, they would have probably found space and not put him under pressure to make that decision. Um, yeah. And and ultimately, when you're when you're one nil down, you're trying to play positive. So it's all, a whole bunch of things that came together, really. Mike, we we, we saw something similar in the um, in the first game where the Dutch played the US. Uh, like the Australia-Argentina game, it was 2-0 and then the US scored a goal. There was a moment there where the Dutch were looking very anxious and then catastrophic defending on the back post and, and, and the Dutch make it 3-1. Do, do you think this is going to be a theme through these knockout stages where it's going to come down to moments of catastrophic defending? Yeah, I, I guess quite possibly you'll start to see a bit more of that. It's um, the game games as you progress through the knockout stages are often one on lost on defences and how how well they can step up. So if um, in group stages where it might be a bit more open, less riding on the line, um, a, a mistake is is probably going to be less crucial. And because the fact it is less crucial, you could argue it's less likely to happen because it's not going to weigh on the minds of those players. So, and if if it does happen in a knockout game, you have to wonder how that impacts that player and the team throughout the rest of the match, um, particularly if it say happens early mm. on. So, I, I think I think we'll definitely see a, a bit of that. Um, yeah, really curious to see, for example, how the English defence goes against <laughs> Senegal. Um, so, and there, there, I like a, I like how you others. how you transition from like you know mistakes in defence and straight to the England defence. <laughs> And then let's talk about England. I, 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 yeah. I, was, I was just going to say, this is probably the only time we've had Harry mentioned on the show and we're not talking about Maguire. We're talking about <laughs> Harry Souter. Yeah. I, I, th- I think during the week, the, was it the Ghana Parliament did enough talking uh, for us to talk about Mr. Maguire? Um, but yeah. I, the, yeah, my, my concern... Typically, my concern in the past has been with England is about um, failing to score goals mm. in these big games. Mm. And 
I'm, I probably don't have as much concern about that as I might have before, I'm thinking from an English supporter uh, point of view. Um, and that's primarily because they've got options now, options that mm. didn't necessarily exist in the past. When you can bring on the likes of Rashford or Madison, um, Grealish to an extent, um, Foden, um, there's a bit more variety there in attack. For me, it's really the defence um, and, and how well that goes when they start playing better teams. And we have to be honest, um, without dwelling too long on England, they had a pretty soft pull. Um, mm. compared to mm. some of the other teams that they'll yep. be coming up against. Yep. Uh, also, Mike, it's interesting you mentioned, like, you know, England have a lot of variety on the bench. It's just, do they use it? You have to use it mm. for it to actually be any use <laughs> to have the variety on the bench. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is leading into something. <laughs> and, 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 you know, tactically speaking as well, I think uh, Southgate is is usually quite conservative in important matches and in knockout matches in particular. So probably looking at like a drab display and then putting a whole bunch of forwards on or a whole bunch of his star forwards on that he thinks can get him a goal in the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes to try to get that, um, get that win. So what you're saying is that we can't expect Rashi to play any minutes in, in this, um, knockout. Um, I, yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking. We're looking at a uh, a Sterling, oh. uh, Kane front. <laughs> yeah, it looks. It looks like that. It looks like control the game for sixty minutes. Uh, if a go- if you get a goal, if Harry Kane scores, great. If not, Harry Kane and Sterling get on the board, great. If not, then after sixty minutes, introduce the pace, introduce a bit more creativity, and win it with um, with others tiring. And and Ali, I think. Uh, look, I'm I'm gonna go to XG again because that's what I. That's literally the only thing I'm here for. But what what you've described is uh, the XG numbers back this up. So there was a brilliant write up on the Athletic uh, earlier today where they were looking at the different phases of we the game. We are not and sponsored by the Athletic. We are not sponsored by the Athletic. We no, just no, uh, no. we're we've we've all just uh, jumped on the uh, dollar a year subscription offer that was made available and uh, yeah. That's literally how we're prepping for these shows. But uh, <laughs> what, what the article described was uh, how the XG lines up um, during the course of, um, on average, uh, of these matches. And uh, as we've seen while watching these games, basically the, the first 30 minutes tends to be uh, very shallow in terms of expected goals. And, and then um, in the second half... Uh, Particularly after the 60th minute, you can see a, a clear increase in XG. Now, logic suggests that's going to continue. In fact, that is pretty much what happened in that Argentina-Australia game. The, the first 30 minutes, uh, I actually think Australia did brilliantly. They, they managed the first 30 minutes brilliantly. And, and there was almost a, a momentary lapse in concentration for, for Messi mm-hmm. to score. And then it was a different game thereafter. Do, do we think that pattern continues? Or... And, and coming back to the point you've just made on, on Southgate, is the onus on certain teams against uh, the smaller nations? So I'm talking about England playing Senegal, particularly Spain playing Morocco. Is the onus on these bigger sides to come out in those first 30 minutes and really put the foot down? Is there any self-preservation there, you reckon? Like, again, coming back to what we were talking about when this, you know, this tournament was about to kick off, whether 
lack of training time, lack of cohesion. Is all of these things going to come into, well, we don't want to show our hand, so we're just going to do the bare minimum to, minimum to scrape through. Um, to me, there's like an, there's a chance of that actually happening because that's what happened in the group stages. Um, so you might see, for instance, a 2-1 Morocco game, um, you know, uh, Spain to Morocco, or, you, you know, a 1-1 one, one all draw in, in that scenario where... You know, they're 1-0 up um, in the 60th to 70th minute and Morocco gets a, a fluke in and then it goes into penalties. Um, there, there is a chance, because of the competition, there's there's a chance that this could buck the trend completely as well. Uh, but Spain has had the World Cup of diminishing returns so far, hasn't it? Mm. They've started yeah, with the 7-0. Yeah. They started, <laughs> like, you know, smashing out of the blocks and then they've just kind of got a a 1-1 draw and then a loss so you don't know what's what's going to turn up against Morocco have is or is it like oh everyone knows how Spain are going to play now and they're easy to easy to meet easy to contain yeah so for me um I'm sure you're all familiar with the boxing expression styles makes fights mm. um now I think you, you'll start to see a bit of that with this World Cup particularly I think we've mentioned um, off-air around um, the number of African and Asian teams making mm. it. Now, these are not necessarily games that feature in competitive fixtures all that often mm. um, because they, they may play the odd friendly, but um, as, as we know, friendlies aren't really worth all that much. It's, um, it's more a chance just for uh, managers to test out things and keep their, keep their players uh, fit. It's, it's really about competitive fixtures, and um, I'd just like to maybe draw attention to, say, Japan, and if we look at their contrasting fortunes through um, their group stage, so they start off with a win um, to Germany. <laughs> they Germany dominated possession, and, and, and I think we've already discussed Ger Germany had a much higher expected goals ratio, and I think Japan rode their luck to some extent yep. um, in the first half. Um, but then if we go into the Costa Rica game, Japan actually dominated possession, mm. and then they go on and lose that game, um, I think conceding to the only single shot that Costa Rica had right. on goal. And then we flip it to the Spain game, which they go on and win. I think Spain had 82% of the possession. That's right. Um, mm. So Japan, you could argue, are a team that likes not having the ball, and they do a lot of their work without the ball and getting themselves into positions where they can quickly press and put pressure against the other team. So I wonder, um, and I had a quick look at um, Croatia, who they're coming up against next, um, their the, the kind of stats, and they seem to um, generally have around half the possession. It depends who they come up against. They're not a team that necessarily dominates possession. Um, but the, I think the only game that they didn't have possession um, in their favour was the Morocco game. Um, at the start, which was which was a nil all. Um, so let let's say if things kind of go to plan and Croatia does take sixty to seventy percent of the possession, does that actually say play into Japan's hands? And does Croatia know how to deal with that? And perhaps you might have a similar kind of thing on in the Morocco game. So just curious to know what others think around um, how these how these teams match up and the familiarity of dealing with um, the the different styles. I mean, uh, if we look at the position numbers, so 
of the seven sides with the lowest amount of possession through the group stages, four of them have actually made the knockouts. So not having possession is being a side who is more direct and and not holding on to the ball as much as say Spain or um, or England do isn't necessarily been a disadvantage to this point. Although uh, perhaps a, a counter argument to that is um, this World Cup has also, to your point, Mike, seen the the biggest number of reversals between the first and the second game. So. Um, Almost 30% of, of games have seen a reversal where a team has either won and then lost or lost and then gone on to win, which is kind of, it, it's just speaking to how crazy this tournament has been where things have just been so unpredictable. And then, um, Mike, you made the point off here, yeah, what we saw in that final round was a whole bunch of sides who had won the first two games making changes and then <laughs> adding to the, the absolute chaos where... You'd expect a Brazil and a France to win that final game, but they end up losing. So I'm actually saying um, we we don't have an awful lot to judge on based on these group stages because of how how much turmoil we've seen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think think, uh, there will be... I I did predict uh, Netherlands and Argentina to win, and um, as Ali touched on, I think those would be the results most people would have been pretty comfortable would happen but I'm also very confident there will be at least two more upsets Mm. um, of the remaining six games Uh, which ones they'll be I'm I'm not sure if I had to have a guess I'd I'd fancy say Switzerland over Portugal and then either Morocco over Spain or Japan over Croatia but you Mm. know there's so many of these are on a um, flip of a coin really I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate that Gurpreet just mentioned England in the team with high possession, with play with a lot of possession. That's such a rare comment, and it's it's something that's just completely. If you if you said this to someone like twelve years ago, they'd be like, "What are you on about?" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Ali. Do you remember that little period where? Um, when Louis van Gaal was in charge of United and the first two months were beautiful. We saw some of the most beautiful football. And then there was that loss to Leicester and Louis van Gaal became this kind of like, it was this dystopian vision of what possession football could become where it's just, (laughs) you've got 60% of the ball, but 80% of your passes are sideways. I think Southgate's kind of taken that to a whole new level. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> through his general tenure, except when Marcus Rashford is on the field. The only problem is that Southgate doesn't have a Marouane Fellaini. And no, he doesn't. He doesn't. There's no <laughs> there's no long ball merchant to, to hoof the ball up to. Unless, of course, you play Harry Maguire front. Which you never know. Could happen. Which you never know. Which you never know. <laughs> that might be his best position. If you really, you know, the way he's playing right now, if you put him put him up. Maybe not right up to the front, but let's say attacking midfield. Um, you might be able to do some damage. <laughs> okay, Jen. So we've had we've had ni- we've had nineteen minutes. We've had nineteen minutes to warm up. We've got to move past this segment and start talking about the players. I'm going to come to each of you, and based on what you've seen so far, you've had plenty of time. I know you've all watched plenty of football. Who do you see making it to the final? We'll go left to right. Mr. Coolum will come to you first. Who makes the final based on what you've seen so far? 
So I'm just having a look at the the draw bracket um, just to make sure who we've got there. So we think on the left side, you'd think Argentina or Brazil between one of those two. Um, I I just have a feeling it's going to be Argentina. You don't think you don't think the Dutch have it over Argentina? I don't know. They seem more yeah, cohesive. I have to say they Dutch seem more cohesive is... over that Argentina. Yeah, I I had, I'd agree with Ali. I'm not confident Argentina get past the Dutch. Eh? Mm. Yeah, mm. it's going to be a good match. It's going to be a good watch. The 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 reason I'm not confident about um, Holland is I just don't think they've really also they've had a soft group and. You could also argue that USA was pretty soft. I I, I haven't seen enough um, from them to really know how they will go under pressure. And uh, yeah, it's I th I think that that is going to be an interesting tie. But yeah, for me, Argentina on that side. Yeah. And then on the other side, it's hard to look past France. Um, but if I was going to throw a <laughs> dark horse in there. I'm actually, they're not uh, attractive by any stretch, but they're very effective, and that's Switzerland. Mm. I, yeah, I, I've just, from, they, they seem to be able to grind out results. They, against Serbia, they were conceding goals, but they were being counter-punching almost instantaneously. And, uh, yeah, they just seem to have quite a well-balanced side now. Um, obviously, a tough game against Portugal, and, uh, and, I think that's a 50-50 game, but yeah, just uh, let, let's throw a, um, a bit of a different prediction than I think others will, will say, so I'm going to put Argentina-Switzerland um, into the final. Wow. wow. Whoa. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> can you better that? Um, I'm going to try. Uh, okay, so <laughs> Argentina, watching them play against Australia, I don't think they have another gear. Um, and Netherlands certainly did have another gear against the USA. Um, Agree. So uh, I think, you know, that um, semi-final is going to be one of Netherlands. And, you know, you were talking about before about um, teams without possession and how well they play. Japan and South Korea are two teams that play well without possession. Um, mm. If I was looking at an upset, one of those two going through to, to reach the semifinals is not, you know, at least from a, yeah you know, percentage play, there's, there's a chance that they could make the semis. And then who knows what could happen. Um, so I, I'm looking at Netherlands in the final if I'm playing the odds um, yeah. from that left-hand side of the group. The right-hand side of the group, um, my hope is that the cup comes home. And England makes it all the way through. Oh, I like this. <laughs> ooh, I like this. Ooh, um, there's some, there's some heat and, and, and here's my thinking. I think Southgate is playing a game of poker. Um, and that team that he uh, was it fenced out in that first game is, is the strategy that he's going to go forward with. Um, and you're going to see Rashi on the field and he's going to score a couple of goals with, uh, with Saka and the young, the young generation of, of English you know forwards and strikers is going to come through and they're going to perform well and we're going to see an England and Netherlands final Kevin I asked you to go bold and uh, predicting uh, predicting Southgate to go uh, with a young generation and play open free flowing football I think is 
probably more drastic than than Mike picking Switzerland to make the final. Ali, can you can you better the previous two? Man, it just you know like when Kevin was talking, it just wet my appetite. If if Japan and Korea both win their round of sixteen Oof. match, the, and you know if we get a Japan Korea quarterfinal, like that would be that would be crazy. Oh. Uh, you know, from from that half, I feel, I feel like I feel I feel like Brazil and and Netherlands are the two sides that would be strong. I think Brazil have enough to get past Korea, mm. South Korea. If Brazil can get past, like Croatia, would be a different challenge, and then Japan another different challenge. But I think Brazil have enough know how and street smarts to to scrape past and get past them. So I feel like it'll come down to Netherlands, Brazil, and I think I think if you had to look at Netherlands versus Brazil, I think Brazil win that. So I'd say one finalist, I would say Brazil. Not a shock surprise, right? Like everyone's been tipping Brazil to kind of go from very start of the tournament. Uh, on the other side, I I really think Morocco can make a deep run. I, mm. I feel like I feel like they can at least get into the quarters, and if not, actually look at a semi-final because if they get past Spain they're potentially looking at a Portugal or Switzerland in the quarterfinal which I think they can match if they if they turn up and they've been playing with the the defense and their um, their forwards the way they've been going I think they could match them they could they could make the semis and then we're looking at a potential England France how does that pan out Obviously, that's that's the big question mark. Like, that's almost good enough to be a final. England, France, it is. I think it is. Yeah, and that's gonna happen in the quarters. It's gonna be tight, and I'm, you know, I really want England to win that. So let's just pretend that they are, um, and we could potentially see an England Morocco semi final, which I'm. Um, I'm hoping England grind out and we might see an England-Brazil final. Wow. It's all adding up to it coming home, lads. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I just um, quickly um, chime in on uh, South Korea? Admittedly, I didn't watch all of their games. Um, but for me, they seemed they snuck into the um, semi-final almost on the back of other poor results from other teams. And <laughs> the fact that Portugal put a... Uh, a weaker side, obviously. Bruno wasn't playing unless he came on for a few minutes. I didn't, I didn't uh, catch the end of that. But um, yeah, what what had they done before um, that that almost did rubber for Portugal? I think they had a loss to and Ghana, was it? And they in, in a draw. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I have to say I'd be absolutely shocked if somehow Korea get a result against Brazil. Um, that that. If if we're going to talk about any result that would shock us, for me that would probably probably shock me the most. But um, yeah. But M- Mike, if if we could just pause mm. there, I, I think this next segment that I wanted to move on to was was players that need to step up. So as we've seen with your predictions, I, I love the color. I love the fact that there's no consensus and it's all over the place, and we've got all these different <laughs> permutations. But but let's let's focus on Brazil because as as Ali said, um, th- th- you know. Of course, we can't predict this uh, in any absolute way, but but looking at that sort of the, the top half of the draw, 
you, you've got to say Brazil are heavy favourites to make it. The the big concern for Brazil is um, they topped that group, but they scored the least amount of goals. Hmm. Can they can they turn that around? And and if so, who are the players that need to step up? Because they are stacked with talent, but hmm. we're, we're not seeing anything cohesive in attack. They they have not. There's not been a single game where they've torn the opposition apart. Where, you know, at, at I'd even say in that first game, the 2-0 against Serbia, both those goals had pretty low XG. So where do the and goals that, come from? That's that's the part. That's the part I actually like about Brazil in this World Cup is that they haven't. It's not just been, you know, watch our flare forwards, just do all the work, and you know, we'll win the games just because we have we're super talented strikers who can do all sorts of things they've actually they have a solid base yes they defend well they you know tiago tiago silva jeez he's he's still he's still running things beautifully they have casemiro in the middle pulling the strings and they have you know like nine strikers who they can pick and choose and the positive is they have the quality that they only need to create one chance or one half chance to get a goal and that's kind of what they've been counting on they've been they've keeping all the other areas solid and they get they're getting the goals they don't have to be free-flowing traditional brazil football just on that the matchup that's very interesting what you just said because i i feel the same way but there's slightly negative tint um in my rose-colored glasses. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that could be their downfall. Um, they're positioned maybe to get that one goal, but that also puts them in a position where they're not going to blow other teams out of the water. And Croatia and Japan, forget South Korea, but Croatia and Japan are teams that if it's close, they can do some damage. They have quality. Agreed. Enough mm. quality. Um so you know, it just it, it's probably not a great matchup for them. If they were playing, you know, somebody a little bit more looser like Senegal, I think it would be, it would have been, you know, I I almost call them favourites um, with a margin. But you know, against Japan or Croatia, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with that too. And yeah, just to come back to that Korea game, I I think that will be almost a formality for Brazil and. I, I think whoever gets through that Croatia-Japan game will be quite battle-hardened after that one, mm. and they could catch Brazil um, a little bit cold. Um, but also, just on the Brazil point, I'd be curious to know um, who kind of comes into the, the the side with, obviously, is it injuries, I think, to Neymar still in yeah. Jesus? Ne- Neymar's, um, Neymar's back in training today. I think I saw some footage okay. on Instagram yeah. where he was, uh, you know, hitting some ridiculous volleys, but I'm not sure he's fit enough to start in yeah. two days' time. Yeah. And so, Jesus is yeah, I out mean, for the World Cup. Jesus is out. Has is he, is he gone out? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So for, for me, even though they didn't get the win against Cameroon, who really impressed me was Martinelli. Mm. I think he had a number of um, great attempts, and it was only the Cameroonian uh, keeper that, or the bar that um, mm. I think uh, stopped them going in. So, um, I, if you're asking about who from Brazil, I think would need to step up and really announce themselves on the on the world stage for Brazil to have an impact, I'd throw Martinelli's name in there. You know, we're we're talking yeah. about players that. Um, needed to or need to step step up. 
can we talk about a player that should have stepped up? Um, <laughs> and just going back to the group stage, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Romelo Lukaku. Oh, out. <laughs> what a shocker. That was probably... Um, but, but is anyone surprised, though? <laughs> his, what, what I can't it? explain like, I think, it. I think um, Gurpreet would probably What was the XG for that game? Gurpreet would know this better, but for the 30 minutes or so that Lukaku was on the field in that final game, his XG, just his alone XG, was, I think, 1.4. And not the rest of the team, just his 30 minutes, 1.4, from those four shots that he had. And it was was just like, wow, that was, yeah. He was injured, you know, he was, how much training did he have, how much he clearly needed more more game time more practice but so, so kevin kevin t- tell me this, this well, what is what what is more annoying lukaku missing those sitters or acting like he's surprised after missing them <laughs> oh that's a tough one um <laughs> i think if i was a belgian fan because you'd have to be optimistic about your team regardless of where they play or how they play I'd be I'd be on the um, uh, missing the sitters, but just couldn't they have passed it to somebody else? I mean, like I, after the first one. I mean, it, it just <laughs> seems somebody like, else. It just seems like every time the camera goes on him, he's doing the. It's like no, no, that wasn't even close. It literally came off your backside. You could have hit it anywhere, but you hit it right to the goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think we're being be. I think we're being a bit rough. I think we're being a bit harsh on Lukaku. He was he he was a bit bit undercooked coming into the World Cup. Obviously, he was because he missed the first two games. And can, can it, you can't can, put you can't blame him. Blame Belgium getting bundled out on Lukaku, and you know Martinez didn't have a plan B. Can I just for say not sh- having Lukaku? Shout out to the Man United. Whoever runs our transfer business, for us to actually sell him for seventy million pounds, and also we'll come back, we'll come to Mike in a second. But shout out to Chelsea for then paying one hundred and twenty million pounds to bring him back to the Premiership, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've, I mean, the Chelsea striker business over the years is is not made for for good reading, has it? Um, I think if you, yeah, Lukaku came in, I think was it just after Chelsea had won the Champions League? Yeah. Um, and he actually hit the ground running pretty well. I think he, in, in the first uh, four or five games, yep. he had three or four goals. Looked amazing. Um, and then he got then he got injured, and he was out for about seven seven game weeks or something like that, and. After after he came back from injury, there was just no mm-hmm. no sign of any form he had pre-injury returning, and I I can only put it down to mentality of the player really. It's um, uh, and it's only certain managers can really coax um, players certain players into getting results. Obviously, Antonio Conte did extremely good things with him beforehand, and you know maybe if if he was to be Having worked under Conte again, he would he would be getting good results. But yeah, mm. certain players respond differently to certain managers, and yeah, the 
the money money side of things though, I mean, he spent seventy million on Kappa, so um, let's not dwell too much on <laughs> spending hundred on, on a striker. I mean, I, I was I was trying to I was trying to wind you up, but as you tend to do, you actually made a very articulate point in there. <laughs> Lukaku does this where Lukaku does this where when he's out of form, he's just bang out of form, right? And we know he had an injury, Kevin. The, the decision from Martinez to bring him on in that last 30 minutes when their entire campaign hung off it, with Hazard on the field and, and the form that Hazard's in, with with a squad that's lacking unity, that, I mean, that's uh, surely it's not just Lukaku. The, the, the Belgian management has to take a lot of the blame for this. But you've got, you got to also think about this. KDB in that last, uh, like that, that middle section, was just absolutely on fire. If it was any striker in the competition, I think they would have put that through. Any other striker. Um, in fact, I think it didn't even need to be a striker. It could have been just like an attacking Harry mid. Maguire. <laughs> Maguire could have put that through. <laughs> uh, I, mean, no, I mean, like, I, I completely, like, look, the part of the problem and part that Roberto Martinez kind of cornered himself into was that he didn't really have an a realistic alternative to Lukaku in his game plans. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He did not have a like yeah. for like. I mean, realistically, he could have just taken Christian Benteke and put Christian Benteke on and Benteke would have yeah. scored. Yeah. Like Benteke yeah. would have scored at least one of those, right? He could, there, there were options. It's not like Belgium don't have these strikers. There were options yeah. uh, that are that are similar or play it in a similar, maybe not as good as Lukaku, um, whatever that is. Um, yeah, but yeah. there are players that would have played in a similar style to Lukaku that they could have still played with while Lukaku was recovering and you know getting match fit. And, and again, look, I'm 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 sort of the the. The, the resident geek on on uh, on attackers pressing high, and I, I think so much of what worked really well for Martinez down the years was having a front three that pressed. Now with with Hazard in the type of form that he's in, and and Lukaku who's never been a great presser, I I, I think you kind of went from having two of the front three that could press really well to having two that didn't press at all. And I think that completely changed the dynamic of this team. They, they they almost lost intensity. And it was just KDB up there by himself doing the pressing, right? Yeah. Their, their press became disjointed. It was just... And I think um, it was Mike that called us out um, on, on WhatsApp. But we saw how easily Canada played through them. And they played through their press, right? Uh, and, mm. and Canada should really have won that first game. Based purely on really XG, mm-hmm. yep. they yeah, should have won that true. game. And, and the writing was on the wall at that point that something wasn't working. And and the Morocco result was, you know, okay, it, it was shocking, but really based on that Canadian performance, we saw it mm. coming. And then they had to get it all right against Croatia. And we know Croatia are such an awkward team to play against, right? They... They almost put that choke on you where they deny you off the ball and you're going to get a few chances and you're going to have to get it right. And I think what we saw was was just a, I think, a stagnation that set in about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, just on that with Lukaku, he, um, if you, I don't know if you'd seen the previous results between Croatia and Belgium, but Belgium had had all the recent head-to-head um, wins over Croatia, and in every game that Belgium had won, Lukaku had scored, 
so there was there was history there but it, that's basically the theme that i think we saw with belgium is that they were dining out on past glories mm. so whether that's being hazard maybe Aldevera, yeah yeah whoever yeah. that's it's you, you can't you have to pick the informed players you can't pick players that were great four years ago yeah yeah so, so do we do we think that that's that's the um that's a strategy for the knockout stages the teams that have gone through that picked informed players in which case, you know, you look at somebody like um, uh, Portugal or or even England. We would like we we everybody knows what we think about England, who who they should start, but who should Port be starting in this scenario? Who, should they bring on? Should they keep the young guys on um, to get through against? Um, assuming they get through against Switzerland, if they're playing Spain. How do they strategize this? How do they put? How do they? Yeah, I I think with Portugal, like the situation is such that they still they still built around Ronaldo. They the team is still centered for Ronaldo, and they work for Ronaldo. It's just not the same. It wasn't the same at Manchester United where they were like we we're not going to build around Ronaldo, but for Portugal, they're not planning for the next four years. They're planning for this World Cup, mm-hmm. and they've gone we are still going to build around our greatest ever player and make sure that he can he can get he can bang us bang us goals because realistically other than Yao Felix they don't really have a a center forward that can that can do what Ronaldo does even at 37 so they've gone he's a he's a he's he's a spearhead we just have to make him get the best out of him in the way that he can and everyone else has to just pull together for like five games and do the work and then after the world cup after he retires we'll create a new game plan i i think they have the personnel ali and i look i i accept your point that they are they are built around ronaldo there's there's no denying that but i actually feel they have the personnel where they could play a style quite similar to city pre pre Erling Haaland where you've got the likes of Diego Jota who can play right across that front three you've mm. got uh, Rafa Leao who I think is actually a brilliant outlet for them um, yeah. you've got Bernardo Silva who again uh, he can play deep he can play wide you know he can play as a false nine and, and I think running the show you've got Ruben Neves and Bruno Fernandes and, and I don't think chance creation is going to be a problem for them no. I, I actually think on paper and then you've got their their amazing wing backs, right? So so Dalo, Cancelo. I think on paper they've actually got the potential to be one of the most dynamic, fluid attacks. But but I I almost think um and I know Kevin's raised this point a number of times. It's it's almost the case of where Ronaldo is holding that attack back. Now I I like England and Harry Kane. I I don't think the two managers are going to take the step in and and drop their their mm-hmm. sort of record goal scorers. But it, it almost seems to be the thing that's holding these two teams back. Um, and I, I do wonder if um, if both these teams, through the course of this comp, find themselves 1-0 down, right? And and the heat starts to kick in. Do you... Is the, is the decision then to withdraw a Harry Kane or a Cristiano, a Cristiano Ronaldo and go for the more athletic players and for the more dynamic front line? I, yeah. I don't think these managers are big enough to make that call. But I, I, yeah. I do think this is the weak point for both of them. And, and look, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, yeah. taking nothing away from Harry Kane, but I think, I think again, the, the stats back this up. 
and there is an issue there with Harry Kane, right? It's um, he's getting the assists, but uh, and it may well be that ankle. He's not getting on the end of those chances like Ronaldo isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would you put? Um, okay, so just just on that Portugal side of things, yeah, I I I actually think that could be Portugal's downfall. This persisting um, with Ronaldo, and that's why I kind of think that Switzerland has got a. A yeah. bit of a interesting yeah. route into into the final there if they can get past Portugal. Um, uh, yeah, just that, you know, yeah, Portugal can play you know that front three the way Liverpool and and City kind of mm. set up and you know they made it work with mm. like they have plenty of skill and talent there. I just I I actually just think Portugal Portugal l- like and they build that they really their sole focus is that Ronaldo is Ronaldo oh, and uh, no, oh, yeah, no, 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 it's just I, they're I, not gonna I, yeah. I don't see them I don't see them with him winning no, they no. want him there they want his experience there I yeah. but do, do 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 other teams kind of use that knowledge that that's how they're going to play and then basically formulate a game plan Correct. against that Correct. because yeah I do suspect had if they kind of um uh, put a surprise on Switzerland saying Ronaldo's on the bench all Switzerland's preparations go out the window agree agree I, yeah. I completely yeah. agree and and look I, I think what we're talking about here in many ways is academic I, I think Ali is 100% right all the Portuguese planning and tactics is, is all around Ronaldo right but mm-hmm. it would be a masterstroke if they went we're going to play a false nine we're going to play Diego Jota in there we're going to start <laughs> Bernardo Silva wide on the left, and he's going to yeah. constantly change positions with Jota. I think it completely undoes any prep that the Swiss have done. It, it would be a masterstroke, but I don't think it happens. That, that's actually a really interesting point, because I, I was just thinking about this. If Ronaldo's on the field, I'd almost, if, if I was Switzerland, I'd mm. probably focus on shutting down Bruno Fernandes, because mm. they're a different team when they're playing playing through Bruno um, mm. and it's it's to the point where I, I know that he, he looks it, it's almost like they think he's going to pass it to Ronaldo but then he doesn't um, <laughs> it, it's it, it's this complete complete yeah. like this yeah. mind screw heart and um, if they shut him down I don't think they have another player that's confident enough to, to be able to do agree. that agree agree oh I, I think I think Bernardo Silva would be up there I think if he can get the ball to Bernardo Bernardo can do I think Bernardo can do what like what Ronaldo drops deeper and then Bernardo and Felix and Rafael Leal running past they've they've got like a a bit of guile a bit of pace a bit of skill there as well so yeah but they haven't shown it they haven't really done any of that um in this World Cup I, yeah. like I mean it'd be it'd be great if like, that again that would be another masterstroke if they'd be able to pull that out and in the Switzerland game, or maybe you know against Spain or Morocco, but you know Br- past behavior is an accurate representation of yeah. future. Behavior. Yeah, Br- Bruno, yeah. Bruno, I feel is the player who, in that bottom half of the draw, with um, you know, with 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 Spain in there, with England in there, with France in there, I, I think Bruno is the player that is your, he's your kind of the. He's your magician. He's the he's the he's the he's the X factor, right? He 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 is yeah. the guy in a tight little game has the audacity to try something that no one else will. Change, yeah, yeah. Uh, change the result. Yeah, and and I mean, look, it's infuriating at times. You know, when United are one 0 up and you know we're thirty yards from our goal and he tries a back flick, but it's just the way Bruno is, right? He is. Um, mm. 
when it comes off, Bruno is unplayable. And like Kevin says, you know, when he's when he's in the zone, um, he's going to unpick any defense. Now, uh, gentlemen, we're, we're coming up to almost 50 minutes. Um, we're we're going to wrap up with um, with one final prediction from each of you. Does Marcus Rashford start? Kevin. Which game are we talking about? <laughs> we're, we're talking about the Senegal game tomorrow morning. Uh, no, I don't think he starts against the Senegal game. I, I think he comes off the bench. Um, but in whoever they play, you know, with, I think he might start against France. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Up against uh, yeah. Rafa Varane. Mm. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I'd be brave enough um, to predict predict that far ahead uh, from an England point of view. <laughs> Potentially got extra time and penalties to get through. Mike, you, you're picking. Uh, you're picking Poland to <laughs> knock France out then. <laughs> I can I just come back to the Harry Kane thing quickly. Um, has Southgate backed himself into a corner with the fact Harry Kane's been all everything's gone through Harry Kane over the past and the time to like start trying different things has probably has probably been and gone and maybe maybe that's a challenge and coming uh, segueing back into Rashford um, when you ask is he going to start are we asking is he going to start over Harry Kane or are you just asking is he going to start on the wing I, I don't think it's... I, I think Harry Kane is, is too... Like what Oli was saying with Ronaldo, I think... Too central. Yeah. Too central to everything. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I think, contrary to Ronaldo, I think Kane, when he isn't scoring, does have other strings to his bow, right? His his yeah. ability to pass, his... Um, especially when he drops deep and he's got runners running beyond. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think... If Kane has to start, it's it's critical that you start Saka and, and Rashford with him because Kane, even when he's not scoring, has that ability to drop deep, draw defenders, mm. and have, have runners go beyond. I would uh, I would basically go with the same 11 that started against Iran, except instead of Sterling, I'd go Rashford. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I, I actually, yeah, for, for me, I would say with the caveat that Kane will start, the player who I would probably put in there would be Foden, just because he gives a bit of unpredictability to what Kane appears to be quite predictable at the moment. Um, so that that would be who I would go with. Um, but yeah, as, as a more left field kind of choice, I would argue drop Kane completely and and put, start Rashford up there. But uh, that's I love not going to happen. So yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. Um... I think Gurpreet, you know my my view on this. I've kind of already shared it. I, there's no way Rashford starts. Southgate is very conservative when it comes to knockout matches. He's very predictable when he when when um, the tires hit the rubber. He likes to be like the formations and the the combinations that he knows work and that he can that can do a certain job for him. So that's what it's going to be. Uh, one of the interesting points of note as well is there's a large number of ex and current Chelsea strikers at this World Cup just because they've gone through that many. Um, a lot of them have actually gone back home. There's a couple still remaining, couple still around. I wonder if we're going to see the back of them um, and that one of them is uh, Alvaro Morata in, uh, in the Spanish oh. team. 
I I reckon uh, Mike made the point earlier when we're talking upsets. Uh, I reckon that Spain Morocco game is the one I've got penciled in as as the most likely upset. Morocco, especially when they're playing that back five, um, I think they're looking good. They've got players in form. I I think that is um, that is the result that I think um, yes, it, most likely upset in my opinion. I think we should also highlight that. If Japan get past Croatia, if Japan beat Croatia, they would have defeated two previous World Cup winners, two recent previous World Cup winners in Spain and Germany, and the last World Cup uh, finals. And again, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Japan don't beat Croatia, simply because Croatia, I think, have the most press-resistant midfield in, in the tournament. They may not have the strike power up front, but a lot of Japan's game, I think, relies on putting that squeeze on in midfield, winning the ball quickly, and then getting the ball up front. I, I, I have a feeling that doesn't work against Croatia. I think Croatia play right past their press, and they probably put the most pressure on that Japanese back four, back five. Uh, probably quite similar to what we saw Germany do in that first half um, in, in yeah. the opening game. And, and I think... Uh, I don't think lightning strikes twice. I think Croatia probably score early um, and, and they end up winning 3-1 or 2-1. But but the Spain-Morocco game, I think, is... I look at that game and it, if Morocco can get through the first 20-30 minutes like Aussie got through against Argentina, mm. when Morocco start to come forward, I think that Spanish defense looks a lot more leaky than um, than what we all thought after the first game. Yeah. yeah. All right, gentlemen. That's uh, that's all we've got time for. Thank you to the listener for uh, for listening in. We will be back next week. By which stage, more than half of the teams left remaining in this tournament would have gone home, including more former Chelsea strikers. <laughs> we will... I feel outnumbered today. <laughs> you can. Uh, There's just so many blame... of them. You can blame Siobhan for that, Mike. Uh, who was uh, who was off on holiday, uh, like so many of uh, said Chelsea strikers? <laughs> we'll leave it there, and we will catch you next week. Thank you. <laughs>